Okay, so just a quick reminder about kind of the context we're in because it's very important in understanding this text. The world into which Peter is writing this letter is actually changing rapidly. Um, the, the gospel has moved beyond just the Jerusalem, Israel world, and the Jewish world, and it has expanded out into the Greek and Roman world, which is very different from the Jewish world. And now you have kind of first-generation Greek and Roman Christians who are becoming Christians and coming into the church, which creates a lot of new kind of cultural questions about how do we live in the world, in this new world, versus the world we used to live in. Um, and along with that is coming a lot of persecution. A lot. That's part of what's pushing the gospel out um, away from the Jewish culture is persecution coming against the Jews, which drives the gospel out. And so we have new and unique questions that Peter is addressing. And Peter addresses these by giving us principles, but he doesn't give us a lot of rules, okay? And that can be frustrating for people because you go, well, how do I apply that to my specific situation? And it can, that's complicated, okay? And it's a moving target. And, and so we're gonna, I'm going to try to help you with that. Heather's going to try to help you with that, too, this morning. Um, so a couple of cultural issues that you may not know about Greco-Roman society at the time, because Peter's going to talk specifically to women this morning. Um, women at this time were treated very much like property, okay? They had no independence, no way of escape or leaving or moving about on their own. Um, in ancient Greek and Roman society, women were expected to adopt their husband's religion. She was not allowed to have friends separate from her husband's friends. Imagine that. Prosperity and health were considered to be directly tied to religious forces. It's a mis, uh, misunderstanding that the Greeks were not religious or spiritual people. They actually were the opposite. They believed that almost everything, your health, the, the prosperity of your home, we're all tied to these spiritual, supernatural forces. So for a wife at this time to abandon the husband's religion would have been seen as introducing a destructive force into the home that threatened their safety and their prosperity. Okay, So then imagine a woman in this culture becoming a Christian, abandoning her husband's faith, and then finding this new group of, like, friends that believed like she did, not like her husband, and she's leaving, you know, on the weekends to go go to church with and hang out with these new friends that her husband doesn't even know. And people see her leaving her home and going off by herself, and they wonder what's going on. Is she having an affair? That would have been a common assumption at the time. So the husband himself would have been shamed by society for allowing his wife to worship as a Christian. That would have created a tremendous amount of tension in the home. The wife attending worship with her new Christian friends would have been very inappropriate and questionable at that time. So the fact that Peter here is addressing women directly is itself a subversive act. The fact that he is not addressing the husband in the home and telling him to tell his wife is a, in and itself, is an amazing kind of subversive countercultural act. This would have been considered to be inappropriate. He, quote unquote, should have direct, spoken only to the husbands according to Greek custom. So it's a, 
misunderstanding of Peter and a misunderstanding of that culture to, to act like Peter was some kind of chauvinist, which he wasn't. And I'm going to show you how. In fact, he has some very hopeful things to say. So let's look at 1 Peter chapter 3, the first two verses. Here's what it says. It says, Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be one without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Let's pause there for a minute. So we often bristle, right, at the words be subject to or the words submit. And I think one of the reasons we do that is we don't define that word very well. We define it by our own culture and our own, the world, the pagan world around us. They tell us what submission is, what being subject to means, and then we cram that into the verse, and that's not what he means. It doesn't mean less than, okay? It doesn't mean less valuable than. Um, Peter tells us what he means right here in verse 2. He tells us exactly what he means. He says, by respectful and pure conduct. Now, nobody can say that's wrong, <laughs> <laughs> to be respectful and pure in your conduct. That's what Jesus was. So we tend to define this according to the world's definitions. Many assume that it means to be of less value than, that that's what he means. That's not what he means. Or respect when it is earned. That isn't what Peter is trying to say either. This has been the theme of this whole section of 1 Peter. And if you're just starting um, joining us here for this sermon, I'd encourage you to go back and listen to the last couple of weeks to get a more broad idea of the context, because it's super important. Peter is going through sort of the, the lower, most disadvantaged rungs of that society, and he's telling them how to live being persecuted, being trapped in the station of life that they're in, and he's telling them basically, in a nutshell, be like Jesus, okay? Look at how Jesus acted in these different scenarios, these different situations. So this is the theme of 1 Peter. He's going to talk about more persecution later, but he's saying submission to authority is not predicated on that authority being good or just. This is hard. We, and as humans, tend to think, well, if the person treats me well, if you respect me, I'll respect you. And that's not how Jesus rolls. That's not what Jesus did. That's not what he commands us to do. Nor is it something we are forced to do as victims. It is something we choose to do in obedience to and in imitation of Jesus Christ. This is what Jesus did. Jesus submitted to the Father. Jesus submitted to the local authorities. Even when they killed him, he submitted to that. He didn't have to. It wasn't because he was powerless. It wasn't because he was a victim. Jesus didn't have to. He wasn't powerless to overthrow those who were persecuting him. He's God. He's he has all the power he needs to get off the cross and to demonstrate his divinity at any point. And instead, he chose willingly of his own will to submit to them. So in this section, Peter is simply saying that in every difficult station of life, we are to act like Jesus acted. That's his point. He keeps referring us back to Jesus. We are to emulate and represent the character of Christ in every situation, no matter how, di how difficult it is. He doesn't give us anybody a pass. Even the, the most hurting people don't get a pass in acting like Jesus. It's never an excuse. So here in this section, the case of a Christian woman married to an unbelieving man, which is the situation he's speaking into, 
She should be respectful in how she responds to him in hopes that he too will believe. Now, this is not a guarantee. I think we all know this. If you remember back when we talked about honoring the emperor, right? On principle, that's a good principle. It's also very complicated. It's in application, it's very complicated. Generally speaking, honoring the emperor, honoring you know the police officer that pulls you over on the side of the road, honoring your boss, honoring those in authority over you, in principle will keep you out of trouble with them. But we also know sometimes that doesn't work because it's a principle, not a law. This is the same thing here with husbands who are not believers. How you treat them opens the door to them to be able to hear the gospel, but it doesn't guarantee it. So being respectful and gracious to your unbelieving spouse is not always going to result in them coming to believe themselves, but doing the opposite will most certainly keep them from it. Okay? A couple of notes about this. What is experienced as respect in everyday practice is something that's different for every couple. Every marriage is different. I found this to be true over and over and over again. Something that maybe my wife says to me, I don't find disrespectful whatsoever, but some other might. And so it's something you have to talk about in your own marriage. What does that mean for us? What does it mean to be gracious to each other? In practice, what does that mean? Also, Peter does not address abandonment or domestic violence here at all. Okay? So what he's not saying, and this verse has been used to say this, but is not saying this. He doesn't address it at all. He's not saying a woman should submit to violence or abuse. That's not what he's saying at all. He's not calling for a woman to submit herself to that or abandonment, for example. Our earlier qualification applies here when we talked about the other um, we talked about slavery, we talked about the emperor, we talked about these other things. We honor authority unless it commands what God forbids or forbids what God commands. Okay, that's our exception clause. Okay, so if a spouse wants the other spouse to do something that God forbids, she doesn't have to do it. She shouldn't do it. Or if it wants them to not do something that God commands, then the believing spouse must obey God above all else. This is another verse that I have seen, personally witnessed, and heard many stories about men using as a validation or an excuse for their misogyny. That's because they have forgotten this exception. Men have used this scripture to force their wives to do all manner of things or to forbid them to do godly things. And this is clearly not what Peter is saying here. It's not what he has in mind. You cannot use the Bible. You should not use the Bible to do wicked things. So I'm going to have Heather come up and talk about the next section, and then I'll come back and wrap it up. So Heather, why don't you come on over? This, this is my wife, Heather, if you don't know her. All right. Yeah, so commenting on what he just said, um, as Christians, any Christian, our goal is um, to be imitators of Jesus and to show people who Jesus is. Um, so this means that as Christians first and in our roles as wives, we should be showing Jesus to our husbands. 
Um, so if our husband's a non-Christian, then we should be showing them with our actions even more so than our words. And if um, our husband is a Christian, we should still be showing him Jesus uh, because that is, um, we should always be, be doing stuff that draws him closer to Jesus as well. Um, so if our hearts are right, if they're in the right place, then there is a place where um, our husband will see that and will continue to draw closer to Jesus. Um, so, but it is important, important to remember that um, our husband's walks with God are not our responsibility. Uh, it's theirs, and we can only do what God has called us to do, and it is their responsibility to respond to God. Um, so we can pray for them. We can um, act in the way that God has told us to act, but we cannot make them act in a way that God has told them to act. So um, I think sometimes that that element of not being able to control can kind of make us reach out and, and in those areas become controlling or become um, even disrespectful because we want to control their reactions. So keeping that in mind, um, we can't control their decisions um, and their relationships with God. So uh, reading 1 Peter 3, 3 through 4, do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden pe person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. So our culture puts a huge emphasis on, especially for women, on the outward appearance. They do for everybody, but women in particular. Even in the height of feminism, um, the sexualization of women's bodies, of the, what, they're, the, what they wear, their style, the way they do their makeup or their hair, um, is the currency of our time. Um, it's plastered all over our magazines. It's, it's the thing that people talk about. It's the measure um, both between women and from men to women. And so during this time, that was also true. Like in the Greek culture, they, you know, how they did their hair, the jewelry that they wore, it was, that was seen as a sign of wealth. It was seen as the, a sign of um, their position in society. So he's addressing that, um, which of course, these things in and of themselves are not bad. Um, wanting to look nice or um, have clothes that are fashionable, or, it's fine. But if that becomes the measure of our value, then um, we need to check our hearts because those are the places that he is saying that does not matter as much as our internal person. Because physical beauty we know fades with age, it fades with the times, it fades with not being able to keep up with the styles or even uh, financial changes. Um, but Peter is giving us a definition of beauty that will never fade and it's tied to the, the true status of our hearts. So as, as with other things, we want to assign rules, just like Ben said, um, there's been real abuses in the church in this area, and even tied to the description of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is what he says is beautiful and extreme, very pleasing to the Lord. So even with that, that's been twisted to make things a thing that pleases God. It makes it like almost a weakness for women. Um, some of that abuse has been tied to men, um, believing that women should not have a voice or an opinion or that they should not be able to speak up at all. Um, but that is not what the scripture means. Having a gentle and quiet spirit is the adorning of the hidden person of the heart. That's what Peter says. Um, so we can be, we, we've seen women, we maybe have been women that are loud and divisive um, because we don't want to be a doormat or we don't want to seem weak. Um, and so we're reacting to 
actually something that Peter isn't saying. We're reacting to what men has t- have taken and twisted. Um, but we also can be quiet, like trying to appear to be godly or submissive, but inside we have these criticisms towards our husband or towards other people that are very, um, very loud internally. And um, we'll have, we can even have hatred in our hearts, but have what appears on the outside to be a, a quiet spirit. Um, and what Peter is saying here is it's about what's in your heart. It's about what's really there. So our heart attitudes matter the most. Um, in fact, in Matthew eleven twenty nine, Jesus refers to him as being gentle and humble in spirit. He says, take my yoke upon, take your, my yoke upon you because for I'm gentle and humble in spirit. Um, so Jesus describes himself that way. Um, he also says, blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the earth in Matthew 5, 5. And Isaiah 66, 2, he says, this is the one I esteem, he who is humble and contrite and trembles at my word. So for Peter to tie the status of women's hearts to being gentle and quiet in spirit, it's not making them subservient. It's not making them less than. It's because he thinks that, or he is tying that into being like Jesus. And that that quiet and contrite and um, that quiet and contrite heart is not about your opinions or it's about the status of your heart. Um, so, um, a few practical ways and things that I've seen um, in order to stay in that place in your heart is to spend time in the Word. Um, if you're not, you're not connecting with the peace giver. And so it's very easy to get out of a place of peace. Um, so connect with Jesus um, through prayer and through spending time in the Word. Pray for God to reveal places in you where you are not being gentle in spirit. Um, if you find yourself, this is something that is kind of a measurement for me. I, I tend to see things like I can, I, and I think this is a gift that God's given me. I can see things that are wrong with situations or with people. And if I'm in a good place in my heart, it makes me want to have mercy on them. It makes me want to reach out to them and to help them um, to change. If I'm in a bad place, it makes me very critical of them. Um, so it makes me uh, appear more judgy. So if you find yourself um, like judging or being super critical, you find yourself over and over again saying bad things about people. That's a good place in your heart to be like, this is not being gentle and humble <laughs> in spirit. This is um, me being overly opinionated. Or if you're lashing out in anger over and over, um, repent and check what's going on in your heart. Um, so those are like just some, some outside measurements. I want to be careful not to apply too many rules here because each of us is made up differently and each of us is... Um, responds to stressors differently. and um, But Peter is doing here what Jesus did in the New Testament over and over again. He's saying it's not about the, the rules. It's not about the law. It's about what's going on in your heart. Um, so keep that in mind. Um, we should all be seeking to become more godly and more sanctified. Um, so that is part of what this is. Um, then in 1 Peter 3, 5 through 6, for this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husband as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. Um, and calling him Lord at this time wasn't like a, a bad word. It's not how we would see it. It's just a term of respect at that time. Um, and you, her children, if you, do no, if you do good and do not fear, and you are her children, if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. And uh, when I read that, I was like, what is that? mean like fear anything that is frightening i thought that was interesting that that was thrown in there because it seemed it seemed to me out of place but um in looking at it it means um, that word actually means 
Do not fear that which is intimidating. So going back to what Ben said, at this time, women going to church on their own, women having a faith that was separate from their husbands, um, it could lead to um, a relationship issue where there is intimidation. Um, and so he is, he is basically encouraging them, don't give up on your faith. Still pursue your faith and don't fear the intimidation of that part of the relationship, but continue to do good. So continue to act in godliness, continue to act in the way of a gentle and, and humble spirit, um, but don't fear that which is intimidating. Um, so, uh, yeah, so in that he is telling them just to do good and to continue without being fearful. And it's going to come back up. So I think it's interesting um, that with this particular issue, it seems like, at least in my estimation, it has, there's been a lot of rulemaking um, about this, but not a lot of concern about the heart. And I think that's, Heather's perspective is pretty powerful in trying to correct that. Um, it's also interesting that right after this, Peter does not fail to talk to the husbands, Okay. Look at 1 Peter uh, chapter 3, verse 7. It's just the next verse. He says, Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. It's about weaker vessels. It's just talking about physically weaker. Generally speaking, Men are physically stronger and larger than women, okay? That is not always true, but usually it is. That's what he's talking about, okay? So coming right off the tails of telling the women, don't be afraid of his intimidation. Don't be afraid of your husband. God is going to just, you know, fear God alone, right? That's his message. And so then he immediately turns to the husband and says, don't intimidate your wife, right? He's instead live in an understanding way. Try to understand her, right? <laughs> you won't always get this right. I know I don't. My wife, I've been married a long time to her, and I still sometimes am completely baffled. She is a mystery. But the attempt to understand, to live with her in an understanding way, trying to understand her soul and how she feels and listen to her. You can't understand her if you don't listen to her, right? So he says, understand, seek to understand her and live with her according to that understanding. And then he says, show honor. In other words, confer status to her. Give her the high place of status in your home. And listen, keep this in its original context for just a second. For Peter to say this is seriously radical. To say instead of putting the woman at the bottom of the household as a kind of slave-slash-servant to the husband, instead, husband, lift her up and give her status. It's literally what that word means, showing honor. It's, to, to, it's like to put her at the high place of honor in the home as the one who is most loved, most adored, most cared for 
He says, show honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life. That is also incredibly radical for Peter to say. He's saying she is not less of an heir of the grace of God than the husband is. Therefore, give her the status that is due to her because of the gospel. That's amazing. And what's the downside if a husband doesn't do this. This is one of the scariest curses in the Bible. Next to hell itself, I cannot think of a more serious curse than my prayers, my communication with God being hindered. The very idea of God not listening to me anymore is a scary, scary thing. Next to hell itself, I can't think of a worse thing than that. That my prayers are not being heard because of what, how I'm treating my wife. Guys, that's serious. All of these things together is Peter's way of gloriously, in the gospel because of Jesus, elevating these women from the status their culture has given them and bringing them up to uh, as the highest status a human being can achieve, which is a co-heir in the grace of God. That's amazing. This is perhaps the most radically subversive thing Peter has said at this point. He calls them heirs in God's grace with their husbands. They are equally valued by God. And so male physicality is not an indication of superiority. Men tend to lean this way because you feel physically stronger and you tend to think that somehow that's some kind of indication that you're better. And it is not. That's what Peter says. Actually, the opposite is true according to God's value system. So failure to treat your wives in this way will lead to God not listening to your prayers. That's heavy stuff. But it's important that we hear that. So in reading 1 Peter, especially in this section, you might find yourself struggling to know, struggling to know how to apply this. I think Peter wisely doesn't go into individual situations. I mean, things pop in my head just from women I've known over the years who have been married to men who were not Christians. And the thing, the complicated issues they've had to deal with. Like a husband that doesn't want his wife to give to the church financially. What is she supposed to do? A husband that doesn't want his wife to go to church. What is she supposed to do? A husband that doesn't want his wife to talk to his kids about Jesus. What is she supposed to do? These are complicated things that are unique to each individual. And I think Peter wisely is is entrusting the local church body to help walk people through those difficult, complicated issues. If you remember, like this is a letter Peter writes and sends, and that letter would have been opened up in probably a very small congregation because of the circumstances in which they were meeting. Um, At least early on when Peter wrote this, that was going to be true. So they would have been sitting in like a living room and they would have been reading this and they would have known, okay, well, he's talking to wives married to unbelieving husbands. And then there's that woman sitting right there and everybody knows her situation and is able to take what Peter is saying and say, hey, how can we help you and support you in that and walk you through that? This stuff is complicated and it's very specific. So I think this is a great reminder that we need to read and understand Scripture 
in community with other people. This is where you need a pastor and you need faithful Christian friends to walk you through with walk through these things with you in your life. That you would open up your life a little bit and say, hey, this is what's going on. This is really hard. Um, and get input and support in that.